Taking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. Hey guys, welcome back. Episode two of Stacking Pennies is coming your way. I got my friend Roland Thunder. He's back for another one. A lot of stuff to talk about today. Daytona 500. All the weeks we were down there, we have a first-time winner, Michael McDowell. He'll be joining us later on the show. Super pumped up about that. He's a good friend of mine. Known him for a while, and just the grind that's got him ultimately to win our biggest race. Uh, so excited to talk to him. Pumped up for him and his whole Front Row Motorsports team. Um, but before, man, I just I wanted to like reiterate. Everybody talks about rolling through the tunnel at Daytona. How you know you get those feelings, right? But those aren't those aren't just made up. It's something about Daytona. It's something about the first time when you get down there and you roll through that tunnel and you get goosebumps. I'm sitting you got goosebumps talking about it. But uh, that stuff's real life. Um, and the weekend gets going. I knew it was going to be a good weekend because I'm eating breakfast over at First Watch and I'm walking out and this fan grabs me. Hey, hey, Corey, would you mind signing something? I said, yeah, man, what do you got? Like diecast car or something? Well, no, I got something off the face car. I was like, all right, good. Let's go out here and sign it, right? He goes out there. The guy's got the entire hood off of the face car. Got the whole right front fender ripped off because when I blew a tire uh, a couple years ago. And to be honest, I was a little upset, Chuck, because I was supposed to get that hood. In some way, somehow, somebody lost it. But this guy found it in Jacksonville, Florida. So I brokered a deal. And now I own the hood off of my face car. Um, it only feels so they, right. They lost it or AKA bought it on eBay, <laughs> sold it on eBay. What, what happened was, um, yes, it may or may not have gotten lost to a sheet metal collector. And then this guy purchased it off eBay. So we traded some swag rolling thunder and we traded some, uh, I don't know, some different stuff here and there, but the moral of the story, I got the hood off the face car. So I knew it was going to be a good week before it even started. You had the trophy early. Not quite. <laughs> not not quite i don't want to i don't want to riff on too much man i want to bring in here rolling thunder for all the fans who tuned in to just hear your takes and your takes only nascar.com reporter jonathan merriman what do you think about daytona man wreck rain wreck finish uh it was uh quite quite exciting there you know i mean a lot of people are, are upset for the the middle part of the race after the rain delay right in single file but you know when you wad up half the field 15 laps in uh it's probably going to keep you in check a little bit, but you know, I'm, I'm happy for, for McDowell. He was in the right place at the right time. And, and I don't fault Logano for trying to block Keselowski and I don't blame Keselowski for not, you know, letting off for Logano. That is what it is. It's Daytona. This is a championship in one race. And, you know, I think we all got what we came for. We can definitely talk about that. Those last lap, uh, heroics when our champion, our Daytona 500 champion gets in here and kind of see it through his windshield because there was only two of them out in front of him uh, on that last lap. After the race, Merriman, I, I kind of get on the plane and I'm kind of like scrolling Twitter to kind of see fans' reactions and media people tweeting throughout the race. And something caught my attention, and I hope it caught yours. A tweet from Ryan McGee made me feel all warm and fuzzy. Ryan McGee. At 2.11 in the afternoon, says Derek Cope cuts a left rear tire in turn three during the lap three Dale Earnhardt tribute. 
I'm not saying that the Intimidator Ghost just got revenge for 1990, but I'm also not saying that he didn't. Do you believe in ghosts? In this instance, absolutely. What are the odds of that? Earnhardt coming back to get Derek Cope all 30 years later for stealing that Daytona 500 away from 1990. A, that is spooky. B, if there's an off chance that that no one knows what you're talking about, on Wednesday night at 8 p.m., NASCAR's YouTube channel is re-uploading the full 1990 race so they can sit through that and watch the end of that, and you'll know what we're talking about. I mean... It's just so weird that uh, lap three, Derek Cope, you know, that many years after the fact, uh, you know, making that start, the right rear goes down. And, I mean, it, it is weird. You're sitting there saying I've got goosebumps, but that's uh, that's some freaky stuff. The Dale and Earnhardt ghost shows no mercy, if no. you will. So pl- plenty of stuff to cover. Uh, we had a strong day. Two Spire cars in the top ten, P8 and P9, which Jamie Mack kind of slid one by me. Actually, like practically, we were the back end of that long line, that train there that we can break down why we rode in a line for laps on end that all these fans were so bent out of shape about. I was probably 14th, 15th, and then we go into three, and they start piling them up, right? Fireball, rear clips, up into the catch fence. The rear bumper of the two-car ended up like in the right side window of the 77. That's how crazy stuff was. Well, I start backing it down. Grab some gears, third gear, second gear. And Jamie comes in sliding by me, hits the wall, keeps trucking, and they throw the caution. He was 400 yards behind me, and he's he uh, he got a spot on me in the last one. So I really and truly should have been eighth, but regardless, for to have two Spire Motorsports cars in the top ten, good day, good payday, by the way, for us leading into to our new year. Helped my fantasy team, so I'm all for it. I had both you guys in there. Ooh, yeah, that's a solid day. Who else did you have in your fantasy point? Uh, Almarola was in the garage. I had um, I had Ricky in there. I had Bubba in there, and then I had Austin Dillon in there. So AD was my highest finishing guy. But I mean, other than Almarola, I mean, I, I survived that first wreck pretty well. The second one didn't go so well for me. A lot of people hot. A lot of people hot after that first lap lap fifteen wreck. What's your take on uh, on lap fifteen? I uh, think it's a product of what's out there. I mean, if it wasn't Bell. It was going to be somebody else the next lap or the next lap or the next lap, the way they were racing. It's inevitable, man. It's it's a combination of a lot of things. Pent-up aggress- like, ag- aggression. Everybody's sitting around since Phoenix, watching all these videos, studying Daytona, and you get out there and combine that with all the egos, right, because we're all race car drivers. We all have big egos. So everybody wants to lead. You got the 18 pushing the 20. Up into the 10, and, and you combine that with the downforce package where the lead car can't quite get away because uh, he's got so much drag on his car, allows the second-place guy to push a little bit harder. And I, I, could, I could explain from, from my windshield of how I saw it. I was kind of pinned on the bottom lane, and I was about seventh car in, in line, give or take. So I might have been, I don't know, 18th, 20th. And I looked in the mirror. I'm like, hey, nobody's behind me. Where am I going? Right? We're lap 15. These guys are pushing each other. You can kind of see them get out of shape. So I'm like, all right, let me let me gap myself a little bit here. Come off turn two, drag back probably two, three car lengths. That way I can kind of get a visual on, you know, they're three wide, they're pushing, and it wasn't three seconds later that 10 gets hooked across the racetrack, and they pile up, I don't know, 15 or 16 of them on the first lap, 15th lap. And there was a lot of people upset about it. I don't blame it on the 20. Obviously you can't blame it on the 10 because he was only got spun out. But it was a little bit too aggressive, a little bit too early. 
Uh, and then we caught that lightning strike. So we were waiting, and then all of a sudden the rain came. Uh, we waited around, and thank God we got that thing going on on Sunday night rather than going back on Monday night. Nobody want no. We'd still be down. We'd almost still be down there. So good thing we got back and got that race in. Well, I don't understand why. I mean, a lot of people were mad at Kyle Busch, and I understand because he is Kyle Busch, and he just attracts the negative attention. If you're gonna, from in my eyes, from what I saw, if you're gonna blame that on Kyle Busch, I mean, that's a stretch. You know, get a day job. <laughs> it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's racing, man, and and there's human error, there's human mistake. I mean, and what's to who's to say that if if the twenty doesn't hit the ten quite as hard, but still hits me, he stays straight, and it's it's not uh, it's a non-issue, right? It's just part of the part of the gig, part of the product of speedway racing. When you have guys three deep, eight rows. One guy makes a mistake and takes a lot of cars with him. And then, so we, everybody sits around, right? Everybody's eating all the gummy bears in the pantry of the hauler, and everybody's playing tiddlywinks and all this stuff, waiting down for this race to get going. And they fire us off at 9, which the radar did not look good. I was surprised we were able to get it back in. NASCAR and Daytona worked tirelessly with all the Air Titans. Get us back going. And you know what we all did for the rest of the day until la- the last lap? We get up on the top, and we ride around in log laps. We got to make sure we catch back up on that here later. We got a lot of good talk with why fans don't like seeing single file for 140 laps. But we have a bigger name on our line here. We got a Daytona 500 champ to talk to. Stand by. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right, Stack and Penny listeners, we are joined by the 2021 Daytona 500 champion, my friend Michael McDowell. What are you doing, sir? (laughs) I'm doing awesome, man. Uh, just on this, you're damn right. You are, you are, you are doing good. Yeah. 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 Now who does my trophy behind me, Corey? I'm doing awesome. Dude. Can you believe it? No, I can't believe it. No. And I mean, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. No, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a day 2500 champion. I do not know what you're going through right now. Well, you, okay. You remember what it's like to not be a Daytona 500 champion? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so imagine imagine a squirrel like you and me being a Daytona 500 <laughs> champion. That's what it's like. Have you have you been nonstop? Like, 
at what point have you had a time to like hang out with your wife and kids? Not yet. Um, a few hours last night I did. Um, you know, that, that first night the race, you know, it went so long cause of the rain delay. And then by the time I got out of the media center is like two 30 mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Corey, your racer, I, I, I didn't feel like I was the winner until that sucker rolled out of tech. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went to tech, man, they ain't messing around when it comes to Daytona 500. They were measuring pistons and CCs and every cylinder and every valve was out of that thing. Transmission really? was out, gear was out. And, um, and so we didn't get done with an inspection, I think until about 5:30 AM. And, and then they put it all back together. They rolled over into the museum. It was, uh, it, I mean, those guys had three races. I mean, they, it Dude. was a lot of work, but who'd have thought that your media tour would have made a stop on stacking pennies. <laughs> Dude, I, I didn't know it until, you know, I'm going through this list, right. And, um, I'm going through the list and, and then I see this and I'm like, this is going to be a breath of fresh air for me because yeah. I get to relax and just have some fun and talk to a couple of buddies. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I was looking forward to this, man. And, and I'm so glad you, uh, uh j- jumped on here. Give a little backstory. Uh, McDowell and I have been friends since we, we've, since I've been in the cup series, right? He's kind of been a little bit of a mentor because he, as everybody's starting to figure out, has went through the trenches, if you will. I mean, done the dirty work, drove, drove tr- still drives the motorhome to the racetrack, right? Like there's nothing to change except he has a Harley JRL trophy behind him after <laughs> three, 362 starts. And what is it? What was, what, how, how many starts was it? I don't know. That sounds right. Three, 350. I lost. I know that it 350 was, something. It, it was a bunch. And, and I, you know, you're famous when Pat McAfee on his, on his podcast calls you Mitch McConnell. So heck of a, <laughs> you're, you're doing pretty good there. I wanted the first, I wanted to ask you like, what are some questions today or since Sunday night that you've answered that you don't want to talk about? Man, I don't know. Um, you know me, man, I'm transparent, so I don't mind talking about anything. And there hasn't been anything that has bothered me, like made me upset, you know, or like been an insult. Um, but there's definitely things that have made me emotional, <laughs> you know, like that you weren't thinking about until somebody says it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I think it's one thing that stands out to me is, is, um, the response that I've gotten from the community. And, and so that has been like, it's a bit overwhelming because, you know, you feel like, like I said, you feel like a squirrel, right? You know, I'm just out here just in the damn way. Um, a lot of times getting your teeth kicked in and your face shoved in the mud and then, you know, but over years, I, I think that, well, I know that now is that I've earned a lot of respect from people for grinding it out and, um, and building relationships too, you know, like I don't have any friends on the racetrack, Corey, you know that. And, and you and I are friends we're close friends and we race the dog snot out of each other because that's what you do. Right. right. But to, to hear people get out of their race cars that just, you know, got wrecked or legitimately, you know, could have won the race and, and say that they're happy for you and mean it, you know, it means a lot. And, um, you know, it makes you feel good about those 14 years of, of grinding it out and, and seeing that people saw that, you know, I want to get into some competition talk, but I do want to ask you this. Did you cry? Because I absolutely would have been crying like a baby. Yeah. So, um, 
I did. Yeah. Yes. I cried. Okay. I'm not going to hide from it. You know, I mean, you're going to be emotional. The the times of it were, were weird. You know, I did a little bit in the car when they first said it just cause I couldn't, I, you know, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. And then there's just been these weird moments, you know, like throughout the day or throughout an interview or something that just kind of triggers something. And it is emotional, you know, it's, it's emotional because of how much people have sacrificed for me to be here. Yeah. And, and how lucky, man, I, you know, this, I feel lucky to be one of 40. Like there's so many years that, that don't even make sense why I'm still here, you know? And so to, for me, the, what makes it super emotional is just, I feel like, like God's been there the whole way. And, and even when it's been tough, like, I feel like, I don't feel like I did it. I feel like God allowed me to be a part of something. And that, and that's what makes it kind of emotional is that, you know, I, I don't, I'm not like, yeah, man, I'm the Daytona 500 champion. I did it. I feel like, holy crap. Like God just let me be a part of something. So, so special. I couldn't even dream it up, man. And, and nobody really deserves it more than you, man. I'll, and I'll be the first one to tell you that, but there, and you, and you kind of said it tongue in cheek, right? Like you, you called you and I squirrels, but you've been doing this man for, 14 years besides your whole life right with with the road race and stuff but in the nascar side for 14 years they don't let squirrels to to (laughs) use your now like to like there are things that you do behind the wheel of race car and outside with leadership and stuff like that that allows you that allows bob jenkins to justify putting you in a car versus getting somebody else in there with, with with some more money so you know, give yourself a little more credit than you're yeah. than you're giving yourself, right? But you, it takes a lot, regardless of the statistics, to stick in the cup garage for 14 years as you have. And ever since I've known you, you legitimately have always says, "I'm doing this till I win a race." You didn't say Absolutely. the the you know the 500. You said yeah. a race, and now you have yeah. won the race. So crazy. now, are you gonna are you gonna continue? <laughs> Hang on, hang on. I, I want and I want to hear you talk because you're the you're the man of the hour here. But yeah. we, before the race, we were our our driver intro trucks were front right. You were right in front of me. You started seventeenth, uh, I believe. I started sixteenth, right? So you're in front of me, and we're just having our normal pre race conversations, you know, lighthearted stuff. And we were talking about Trevor Bain because Trevor Bain was in the small group with you back in the day, and uh, another yeah. another. Uh, strong faith guy and we you were kind of saying it lightly like right because you look at Trevor and he won a 500 and four years later he is roasting coffee in Knoxville Tennessee right so like you're still not removed that far removed no matter what trophy you have (laughs) on your mantle so the first tech what what was the first text I sent you yesterday that I hope you got a good laugh about that dude I laughed yeah yeah, yeah, you, you know, you sent me, I hope you're getting ready to start roasting some beans, right? <laughs> get a, um, I said, go buy that coffee roaster so you get a head start. <laughs> yeah, and and that's how our sport is, right? You know, it's, you're, you're only as good as your last race, and and Trevor is a perfect example of that, you know, Daytona 500 champion, and, and he's won more races, and he's more marketable, and he's younger, and you know, he's very talented and, and he's not in the sport. And so it's, it, it is, um, it's a tricky sport, but yeah, you know, like you said, I, I'll, I've said this all the whole time. I just want to win one. Right. And I, and I meant that. And, and what I mean by that is 
is I don't want to go my entire career in the cup series and spend all these years here and not have won a race because I've just worked so darn hard at it right. that I would feel like I hadn't accomplished what I set out to accomplish. Yeah. But never in the conversation was I have to win one Daytona 500 to that wasn't it. It was win a race. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I feel like you said is man, this, if you're going to win one, this is the one you want to win. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's always been the goal. You know, people ask me, what are your goal? My goal is just simple. Win a race. That's my goal. I mean, it's not score points. It's not finish X, Y, Z in the championship. It's a win a race. And, and so there is a sense of relief. There really is. I mean, um, you know, to do it for 20 years and, and miss all that time with your kids and family and never want to race, you'd feel like an idiot. Yeah, and, and I and I, I got a, a section that we're doing with all of our guests called "Would You Rather," but I got one more question for you before that. Yeah. So it might have been last year, the year before, in small group, we were talking about offhand like your old trophies or something, and you went on this tangent on how you have no trophies in your house, put them in storage or whatever, all your Arca trophies, your your Xfinity Road Course win, like you yeah. have no trophies in the house. I yeah. will be damned if you're putting that Harley Day JL trophy in a storage container. Where are you putting that thing? Yeah, it's on the, the kitchen table right now, man. Um, you're right. I mean, there's something feels different about it, though, you know? Um, you know, if you came to my house now, it'd be different. But if you came to my house last week, you, you wouldn't know that I race in NASCAR. There's, they're like, like you just said, I, I haven't kept a lot of stuff. And um, I don't know. It's just not my personality, you know? I've never been into memorabilia, right? Like, even, even with people that I really respect and admire – um, having a conversation and shaking their hand or taking a picture with them is way more valuable to me than an autograph or a shirt or something like that. And I know it's different for everybody. I'm not, I'm not judging anybody on how they do their deal. I mean, I think it's cool when, when I go to, you know, David Reagan's shop and he has every suit he's ever worn and they're hung up. I think it's cool. It looks neat and it's something special and it brings back a lot of memories. Um, I just don't like clutter. <laughs> and so, you know, I've never kept anything and, and I've given it to friends and family and it's not like I, you know, it's not like I took it all and threw it in the trash. Um, you know, it's just, I just don't like keeping a lot of stuff, but I'll keep this one and, and, um, it'll stay in the family and, and that's what it is. This is a lifetime achievement. It'll stay in the family. That That's awesome, man. And nobody deserves it more than you. And that was one of the hundreds of reasons I respect Michael McDowell more than most of them out there. So, all right. Would you rather? Are you ready? Three of them. Would you rather win 14 times, no 500, no championship in one year, or one 500 in a 14-year career? Whew. Right now, I'd tell you the 500, but I think I'd rather win 14 races <laughs> in a, in a one-year in a one-year career. <sighs> Uh, no, no, man. I, the journey has been amazing. I, w I wouldn't trade this journey for anything. If I'd have won this race my first year, I wouldn't be sitting here right now, man. It, the journey is what makes you. Exactly. Exactly. I, and I knew your answer to that question was going to be that. So number two, would you rather have unlimited snacks from loves or un unlimited fuel for a year? Uh, unlimited fuel. Yep. That motorhome sucks up the gas, man. It gets expensive. I could buy as many snacks as I could ever eat with the amount of money I spend at Love's for fuel. Uh, that That is true. We're going with the fuel for a year. All right. Last one. Would you rather fight 
one Daniel Suarez sized baby or one hundred <laughs> baby sized Daniel Suarez's? <laughs> oh man, just one. Yeah, just, just one, one baby baby sized Daniel Suarez. Yeah, or, just no, one. Yeah. All right. Very very good. All right, Michael. I know mm-hmm. you got a lot of other media today, man. I really appreciate you jumping on. I'll see you this week or at the road course. Try to make it two in a row. Yeah, man. Thank you. And there you have it. There's a 2021 Daytona 500 champion, Michael McDowell. I don't know if you guys were following me last week on Instagram, but I had a crop top mid-drift pitcher. Kind of mocking my buddy Darrell Wallace with his PSD underwear commercial. I had my own Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 commercial. Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their all-in-one performance package kit. Check it out. It had a lawnmower 3.0 waterproof trimmer with advanced skin safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts. Even had a ball deodorant, crop preserver, ball toner spray. It actually did have a weed whacker. So for your nose and ear hair trimmer, because my nose hair grows like a damn caveman, and I definitely need it. And for a limited time, you get all this plus two free gifts, the shed travel bag, and the Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs. Go to manscaped.com today and get 20% off, plus free international shipping, plus two free gifts when you use promo code SUPERSHOE at manscaped.com. Your balls and your body will thank you. All right, Rolling Thunder, we're back. What would you think about Mike McDowell, Daytona 500 champ? Can't believe he doesn't keep any trophies in the house. That's just the kind of guy he is, though. Like, Mike, Michael's just a salt-of-the-earth dude, man. Like, he, he's got... Way, way more trophies than people probably realize. He, he was a multi-time Marcus Series winner. He won a couple road course races and, and run strong for Gibbs and, and RCR, among others. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that that's a very deceiving stat of, like, you know, he's up on the graphic with Michael Michael Waltrip and this and that. Is so many starts before a first win, right? Like, the guy's been riding around in junk, this is pretty much his whole career until he gets with Front Row Motorsports. And, you know, I think the fans can just all of a sudden label somebody as not talented because they have they don't have the stat line to show. So I think, it, it, in my opinion, it's really cool for the fans to see who Michael McDowell truly is. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And, and, and you mentioned riding around. Um, let's talk about riding around in the middle of that race. Single file top. Now, you know what grinds my gears? Merriman, when all of these people sit on the couch drinking their bush light, it's fine. But let me explain to you how racing works, right? When when these fans get on here up in arms that we trash 15, 16 cars on lap 15, asking why everybody's racing so hard so early, are the same ones asking, well, what the hell are you doing riding single file for 100 laps for? Well, let me tell you, because nobody wants to trash another 15 cars again. And it's a lot. It's a lot easier as a race car driver. Little, lot less physical demand, lot less emotional demand. Um, uh, all, all that. If you were riding single file, and hey, I don't know if you noticed, Merriman, but the only lap that pays at the Daytona 500, which happens to be five times more than every other race of the year, is the last one. Not with 50 to go, not with 100 to go, and not 15 laps in. So all the drivers collectively thought, hey, you know what? Maybe we get this thing lined up single file and just start knocking some laps out. And people can think what they want to, but I thought from my driver's po- my driver point of view, it was actually an inst- interesting race if you like that strategy of the Fords coming down as a group, the Toyotas coming down as a group, and the Chevys, and how that all 
factored into where they blended on that last run to the checkered leading up to that last lap finish. Yeah, I mean, you know, to your point, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? So if if you ride around, they're going to fuss. If you wreck all the cars, they're going to fuss. You're in a no-win situation. I thought the race was interesting. I thought the race was good. I thought you got to see how – but I'm in the weeds on this stuff. I like to watch Denny control the race. Well, how does he control the race? Well, how does he block the bottom line from coming up and taking the lead? The same way with Joey. I think Joey might be – you know, just as good, if not better than Denny in terms of controlling the race from that top spot. Uh, So, I mean, just because you're not wrecking doesn't mean there's not stuff going on and and doesn't mean that there's not stuff there worth watching that isn't interesting. Yep. So let me tell you what the lap 15 crashed by taking out probably, let's just say five guys that are capable of leading a lane or formulating a lane to drive to the lead, right? Is you lose those five or six guys who would be willing to, with five to go, get a bottom lane going, which might attract another five or six guys because they're at that point in time it's a numbers game, right? You it when we were riding around single file there was might have been 17, 18 cars, and everybody who tried to make something happen nobody would want to go with them and they get flushed and it was like a game of snake, right? So if we had another five or six fast cars, whether that be the twelve. Um, who I don't even know who else got the six or you know for some for for example guys who might want to go to the bottom might have been able to get some friends down there so we could have been double file earlier but it seemed as though all the leaders from first to fifteenth uh, were content to ride up to the white flag lap because it does multiple things one if you crash on the last lap you're gonna the worst you're gonna finish is last car on the lead lap right let's just say you crash with two to go Merriman and you DNF. You're running fourth, the whole field wad, or, you know, eight cars wadded up. If they go into multiple overtimes, now the guys five, six, seven laps down can still get leapfrog you in the standings. So I think that was a, a factor on why a lot of guys were content to not make that second lane work and try to make that middle of the back stretch into three line work. We saw Brad back the line up uh, and pick up his help out from the 34 picked up his help from the nine or the three. Um, and then, you know, Brad tries to make a move to the bottom and 22 barely was a little bit late and spins and uh, the seas parted, if you will, uh, like Moses for Michael McDowell to win that win that race. And, um, you know, and, and Michael mentioned it. it. It probably was a God thing. My man's grinded it out and stuck with it. And, uh, and he definitely got put on a platform that he's certainly u- utilizing for good. Yeah, you, like you said, you got to be in it to win it. He was there. He didn't wreck. Too bad. Uh, and it worked out for him. So what we know is this. The fans will never make up their mind on what they want to see. They want to see side-by-side million passes a lap. Just bear with us, guys. It's 500 miles. We've got to get down to the – we've got to get to the end of the race with some cars. So that's what we were trying to do. And I thought it was interesting with pit strategy. So that's what we're actually going to try to do for our listeners throughout the course of the show is to explain why that stuff happens, what are the thought the, the thought processes of some guys versus others, and why some things material way to do. But let's bring back up the segment, heads or tails. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Two guys who probably could be uh, considered, quote-unquote, ringers in the Cup Series, Martin Truex and Chase Elliott. Who are you taking this weekend the road course? 
I made the bold prediction earlier in the week on a different show that Chase is going to sweep all seven road course races, so I'm not going back on that. Call me crazy, but yeah, it's crazy. That that's crazy. Um, <laughs> probably not absolutely nuts, but a little crazy because the nine. Hey, rewind. I don't know if you watched the clash or not. Chase was not. He was not dominant. He wasn't, but I was super impressed with how deep he could drive it in the corner. No comment. No comment. Um, <laughs> he could. Hey, he was getting it in there. Don't get me wrong. But the 19, who was the class of the field in the where, where whatever month we raced on the road course there last year, piled his stuff into the fence, leading the race, going away. Started from the back, drove to the front. It just seems like Toyota's road course stuff is strong. So. You're going with Chase to win every race of the year, apparently. I'm going to go with Martin Truex this weekend, and we'll see who finishes higher. Number two, uh, back kind of the same question, Toyotas versus the field. We obviously know your answer. You're going with Chase Elliott. He doesn't need a manufacturer. He's going to do a wheelbarrow. doesn't matter what he's driving. Merriman's taking him any day of the week. <laughs> Since I'm taking Martin Truex, that puts Kyle Busch. That puts uh, Chris Bell. I don't think Chris Bell or, or Bubba are necessarily strong road course races, but Denny and Kyle and Martin Truex are pretty strong. So I'm going to go with those guys because they seem like they have a pretty good road course package. Number three, maybe a little controversial, Merriman. Hit me. Bubba Wallace versus everyone on social media. Uh, I think at some point, you know, Bubba's Bubba's just got to ignore it, put the blinders on, and I think he's 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 done a pretty good job of that. I mean, look – why does he have to care? Yeah, Michael Michael Jordan is your your boss, and and seemed to be getting along pretty well with you. You got a hell of a race car up under you, um, and you know the the sky's the limit. So uh, I'll take Bubba in that. Uh, I try to stay off Twitter as much as possible, and I uh, that's my advice to the world. And and I agree, right? Bubba Bubba is elevating himself. You know, uh, uh, he should be, anyways above the opinions of people who don't matter. So somebody needs to tell Bubba, don't read the comments on Instagram. Don't read the, the jack wagons on Twitter. Don't listen to anybody else. I will say this. That 23XI deal has got some drip. It's got some swag. All their stuff looks good. Bubba's got the beats on. He's got the this. He's got, like, Bubba's looking right. He looks cool. He looks like a race car driver. Um Michael Walt, Michael Jordan owns. So they got that going. Obviously, Denny likes his stuff looking nice, and so does so does Daryl. So looking good, feeling good. We'll see how they start racing. Last one. Bus stop mud versus NASCARs. I uh, The bus stop mud won for sure. Little Bristol dirt preview. And look, it was so much rain down there. There was nothing nobody could do about that. I mean, they couldn't bring a, they couldn't bring an asphalt truck in and pave that during the race. Right. You know, why not at the end? uh, Because nobody wants to, nobody wants to sit there. I mean, look, you're going to race in the rain, a little dirt on the track's not going to hurt. I will say that I did see a few rooster tails, you know, shooting out with some people getting squirrely through there. And, you know, that's where Truex wrecked. So, you know, maybe it did affect the outcome of the race. But, you know, everybody in the clash had to drive through the same stuff. So, All right, that's fair. So a little bit behind the scene, a little behind the curtain here on the old driver group me. Seems as though NASCAR is trying to work on some sort of solution to the bus stop mud issue. Um, 
Everybody might like it, you know, change it as dirt racing and put a little asphalt, put a little dirt, put a little rain sprinkler. It needs to be a, a clean surface because we don't need to have one level of grip one way and then absolutely no grip the next play. Um, so NASCAR, from what I believe, might be trying to pour some concrete, put some turtles there. Because there's the thing. If there's an ounce of asphalt or even a little bit of grass that doesn't upset the car that much, we're putting them there just to try to straight line that bus stop as straight as possible to go as fast as we can. I've got I've got a solution. Make the curb bigger to where you don't want to hit it or go off. So that's that's the thing about that bus stop back there is, is IMSA essentially owns, if you will, NASCAR owns it all. IMSA owns kind of the road course layout, right? So when we go to the big track, you can't have permanent curbs because if somebody slides from the big track down there and hits one of those turtles, they're it's launching into outer space. Right, but we, they need some temporary turtles, Ninja Turtles from Charlotte, anchored with some concrete poured about six inches below the surface, and you cover it back up with sand, and then you dig it back up when the NASCARs are back in town. So I think that's what they're working towards. I'd like to see that because you don't want to see some cars tore up with the whole splitters blasting off of them for no reason if we have some solutions. So there it is. So before we get out of here in this segment, uh, i got to point something out, and I think you did it intentional, but it's going to drive people insane. What's that? Them there, NASCARs. Wait a minute. What's wrong with that? NASCAR race car, right? No, no, it's NASCARs. NASCARs? That's what we're going with? it's like goose or gooses, right? It's gooses. It's NASCARs. Now, is it moose or mooses or meese? Mooses. NAS trucks. (laughs) NAS trucks, NASfinity, NARCA series, NASCARs. Could be the Infinity series. I hear that a lot. Nope. NASfinity. Okay. <laughs> and there's heads or tails with all the NASCARs. Stand by. We'll have more. We'll head down to Pit Road. Hey, friends. Now's a great time to tell you about a new podcast, The Artist and the Athlete, hosted by a familiar face to NASCAR. Lindsay Zarniak. As you all know, Lindsay has spent her career covering the biggest story in sports, like NASCAR, for networks including ESPN and Fox Sports. Each episode of The Artist and the Athlete pairs a prominent sports figure alongside a renowned musician for a wide-ranging conversation that explores their path to success, their process, and their passions when away from the big stage. Guests include Danica Patrick, remember her? Alanis Morissette, Clayton Kershaw, Brad Paisley, Shaq, Chain Smokers, Eddie Vedder, Anthony Rizzo, and more. So when you're done with this episode of Stacking Pennies, go over and check out the artist and the athlete, Lindsay Zarnia. New episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast. Race. But I've always wondered when the two team, if you will, crashes from a fan's point of view, crashes the 22, is there any inner team team wall like the pit stop practices the next couple of days? So I think between the guys, you know, like we're, we've all done it for a long time and there's a lot of stuff that's really above our pay grade on that. And, uh, and we all know that, uh, we can't, we can't do anything to control that. That's, that's, uh, so far above where we are. And we're all, you know, when, when you're a rookie or you're in your early twenties, you get pretty fired up about that until you realize you're just a soldier in the army and, uh, and you don't go and you don't argue with the, with the corporals and the generals up there, you let, you let them take care of it. So I think there was some frustration, um, early on, but 
until you kind of diagnose the situation and, and digest what happened, you know, cooler heads always prevail. Yeah, that's right. So we're shifting gears, if you will, from the Daytona Speedway, which those cars have limited amount of droop, uh, which which there's a tire hanging out of the, the wheel well because they want to keep them all tucked and shock rebounds and all that sort of technical stuff. We're going to go back to Daytona, but we're doing it with road course cars. So explain some of the differences between pitting a speedway car and pitting a road course car in back-to-back weeks. So one thing you're going to see, you know, with the with the front with the front changers, one thing you're going to see this weekend is a lot of tires when they go to pull it getting stuck in the fenders. There's a lot of speed there. Why is that? See, well, the camber and then the caster that we that everybody runs. You know how you run? You know you run uh, more caster lead on both sides. I know so, that, but our fans don't know that. So the tires are essentially further forward in the in the wheel well, both of them. Yep. So what a lot of people will do, and, and this is something that that you will know. That driver's wheel will have two marks. When you're on the right side, they'll have the wheel on one spot. When you're on the left side, they'll have the wheel on the other. Um, camber on both sides. With the left front, it's very challenging because your muscle memory from doing it, you know, 35 weeks a year, you come down and your gun angle when you hold the gun is pointing up where you're pointing down. What that does as well is that holds pressure on that fifth lug nut. So you actually have to ride the fifth lug nut off on the left side. And, uh, and you have to be really disciplined. I always pull the tire with one hand on the left front, just reach in there and yank it out because the camber pretty much helps Falls it out. fall out. Where you have to be super disciplined, and uh, and I did it once time in the Bush Clash where I reached in there with one hand when I was in a rush instead of reaching there with both and getting a good pull on it. That is that is one thing that's going to be big. The other deal that is really big here, especially with how big the curbs are, is the chains set in the rear. So when, they, when the Jackman jacks the car up, there's a chain that actually stops the rear end from moving so far. And they're really critical because these cars don't have a ride height. So they're tucked up in the wheel. You want to be able to jack the car up in one pump and get the wheel off the ground, but still have enough room on top of the fender to get the, to be able to hang a good tire. So there is uh, there's not a ton of room on each end and and it's, it's really pretty precise measurement. One thing that can happen here is it can be really hard to set your chains. The other thing that can happen is when you see guys start bouncing off the curb, the chains can break. That's something we see a lot at Sonoma. Um, and when the chain breaks, you are in for 15-second stops the rest of the day. Is, is, uh, there, a big, it, is there a big difference between uh, hot wheels and brake dust? And, yes. there's, and the, and the speedway, speedway cars still have interliners. So is there a big difference in the weight of the tire? Yeah, there's a huge difference in the weight in the tire. Um, and you can actually – they're easier to pull and hang – but you know, obviously, you can get yourself in trouble when you pull them. You have more momentum. They're easier to flop. Uh, they kind of want to take off a little bit more. And there's a lot more brake dust, especially on the front. I will tape. So, like, at races like this, I'll tape the, the tips of my finger. It's usually, it's usually good enough um, as long as you don't have a hanger or something and you're hanging on it real bad. But this is a place where it's not so much as, like, a Martinsville or a Loudoun. You won't burn your fingers as bad, but there will definitely be brake heat where you have to watch out for that. Um, the strategy is going to be big this week. I think we saw in the Bush Clash that it was uh, it was really a strategy race, but the tire fall off was even bigger. So you're going to be taking tires. You saw Blaney uh, able to chase down Chase Elliott there uh, and pass him on new tires. So I don't know. It's it's got it's going to be a really interesting race. Hopefully, it will be. Um, as good as the one last week was. But that being said, that last stop at the Daytona 500, 
there when you're coming in with your teammates, you don't lose a draft. It's hard to make. It's hard to uh, to replicate that pressure until you get down in the playoffs. Right, because it's a green flag stop. What'd you guys do? Take take rights or lefts to. Uh, what'd you do? What'd we you took rights. Yeah. Which, uh, with taking rights on a stop like that, it's really easy to rush. I think we saw it with the twenty three team there um, having a loose wheel. It's really really easy to do, and I think. I've had maybe two or three loose wheels in my career and in a right side stop is when you have it because your body gets moving before you finish your pattern. Um, it's kind of like a wide receiver. You know, you got to catch the ball and then run. You see the guys starting to run before they catch the ball, and it's, it's easy to do that. Um, and and you're kind of at the mercy of, of your tire changer who's dropping the jack at that point. You see a lot of guys almost get hit. So you got to get out of the way. Thank God they have fenders and a hood, though. Elusiveness on Madden would be what, probably 92, 93, give or take. Me? Yeah. Well, 90, 99. I don't man. know. I don't know. Come on. You're not Christian McCaffrey. And there you have man. it, guys. Pit road boats and woes with our analyst Ryan Flores. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring. The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, guys. Before we get into Corey's stories here, I know y'all love it so much. We're going to do a little spare change. Spare change is what we're going to cover. We had a bunch of winners, NASCAR Speed Weeks down in Daytona. Uh, we had the Arkham Menard series on the smaller track down the road, New Smyrna, with a guy named Max Gutierrez winning a last lap thrilling finish. If you haven't seen that, we don't have any videos, so we can't show you. I'm sorry about that, but it is somewhere. You can find it. It's worth your, I don't know, eight seconds worth of viewing pleasure. Corey Heim wins the Arca race at the big track. Congrats, Corey. Heck of a name. Even spelled the right way. And Ben Rhodes narrowly defeats Jordan Anderson in the truck race. That's two years in a row Jordan Anderson's run second by a nose. Jordan said in his post-race interview he's going to ask Chevy to see if he can make his Chevy Silverado's an extended cab, get him a couple inches, maybe he can get that win next year. And Austin Sendrick wins the Xfinity race. By the way, fun fact, I was reading that Austin Sendrick is the first defending series champion to win at Daytona since Randy LaJoy did it in 1999. So that's pretty cool. Uh, you know what else was pretty cool I did with my old man? We just got done filming with the Dale Jr. download over there at Junior Motorsports. So I'm sure by the time this is released, that will be up. So hopefully everybody goes check that out. It was a lot of fun talking about some old racing stories. And the old Dale Jr. download is just good stuff, man. So everybody check that out. It was a lot of fun. Now let's do a little installment of Corey's stories. 
Some people might think that NASCAR is just a southeastern sport, or maybe it's just a national sport. But you know what? NASCAR is global. And in the late 90s, NASCAR went to Suzuka. But I just learned this today, that the first time NASCAR raced out of the country was not in Japan. It was in Australia. Of all the forms of motorsports in the world, why a NASCAR facility of this size and elegance? Well, we build a track as a business venture. NASCAR racing is the most popular form of sport in the world. And, of course, it races sedan cars, and that sells product. People reckon we were crazy because they didn't understand what we are doing. They didn't understand the racing we were putting on here. A few of my directors talked to my brother and wanted to have me examined and stopped. My banks had a couple of heart attacks, but they've, they've come through it okay. Bringing NASCAR to Australia was the brainchild of four-time Australian touring car champion Bob Jane, who created the Thunderdome at the Calder Park Raceway, just outside of Melbourne on the southern coast of Australia. Yeah, you heard that right. Welcome to the Thunderdome, bitches. Jane helped fund an investment of $54 million, which adjusted for inflation in Australian dollars would be about $188 million in today's money, or about $142 U.S. Calder Park was the original home of the Australian Grand Prix from 1980 to 1984, but for Jane's plan to work, he was going to need an American-style high-banked oval. What better track to model than Charlotte Motor Speedway, although a slightly scaled-down version? In the 1960s and 70s, Jane traveled to the U.S. to try to figure out what made NASCAR tick. He visited tracks like Daytona and Charlotte to learn all he could about the purely American style of racing that was NASCAR. The sport was starting to gain some more popularity down under, thanks in part to Seven Network giving it some more airtime. In 1981, Jane struck up a deal with Bill France Jr. to bring stock car racing to the Commonwealth, and the plans were drawn up to build additions to Calder Park, which Bob Jane just happened to own. Australian NASCAR racing would also be sanctioned by Jane's Australian Stock Car Auto Racing, or OSCAR. It's kind of like NASCAR's. On behalf of NASCAR America. Construction began in 1983, but it took four years to complete. One of the main reasons it took so long to build was because of the lack of oval track building knowledge in Australia. Because of this, Jane had to hire engineers from the United States who had to require experience building high bank speedways. Yeah, I think we had one or two extra of those guys rolling around the 80s. The Thunderdome was officially opened on the 3rd of August in 1987. Bobby Allison said of the racetrack. It's a very nice racetrack, but it does have a pretty harsh transition into and out of the corners. Uh, I think that uh, you tend to get this when uh, an engineer designs a racetrack in, a, in an office, especially one that doesn't have any windows, and uh, especially if the engineer maybe has never been to a race. Drivers are rather opinionated. The 1.1-mile track, or the 1.8-kilometer track in Aussie terms with its double dogleg front stretch is technically a quad oval. But most folks call it a tri-oval because, well, that's what we call Charlotte Motor Speedway here in NASCAR. The track sported 24-degree banking in the corners with the front stretch banked at 4 degrees and the back stretch at 6. The first major event was set for February 28, 1988. The Goodyear 500 would see NASCAR drivers like Neil Bonnet, Bobby Allison, Michael Waltrip, Dave Marcus, and Kyle Petty pitted against Australian touring car drivers Alan Grice, Dick Johnson, and Kiwi Jim Richards. Transportation of all the race cars and equipment needed was set to take three weeks by sea. The team of St. James Davis wasn't willing to pay for the transportation of the engine builder, Mitch Klom, so they had the bright idea to have him stow away in the race car. He was provided a sleeping bag, pillow, some provisions, including Spam and Twinkies for 10,000 miles. Jesus. 
Speaking of Jesus, after about three days, Mitch got tired of it and exited the hold where the ship captain, unaware of the stowaway, had him detained. Mitch was held in quarantine for two days before being released to the custody of Bob Jane. Ironically enough, the race ended on lap two for St. James when his engine failed. St. James Davis also has the unfortunate notoriety of having his testicles bitten off by a chimpanzee in 2005 in California. That's another story for another time. You can Google it. Neil Bonnet won the pole the 28-second lap, hitting 139 miles an hour. Fellow Alabama gang member Bobby Allison joined Bonnet in the front row with Aussie Alan Grice qualifying third. For those of you who don't know how hemispheres work, February in Australia means it's summertime, and temps in the cockpit reportedly hit upwards of 135 degrees Fahrenheit, or 55 degrees Celsius for those who are on the other system. Bonnet got out to a quick lead. Grice made a pass for second in lap two, coming off turn two. The Aussie had a head of steam and was tracking down Bonnet, but Allison was at hot pursuit coming down backstretch. The two got together coming off turn four, which cut down Grice's tire, sending him spinning, which brought out the caution flag after just 13 laps. I think Grice learned quick. If you mess with the bull, you might get the horns. The chrome horn in this case. Allison in the number 12 viewing. Alan Grice in the number 03 Foster's Oldsmobile. There's our race cam shot. Allison poking the nose now of the Buick down on the inside of the Oldsmobile. And oh. a touch then. A touch. And there is gone. Bobby Allison has it. And Grice, Grice, Grice is gone. He's got a, a park and he's skidding sideways across the infield. The crowd has gone absolutely crazy in front of the commentary box. Grice has managed to survive but pointing the wrong way. Yellow flag is out. Yellow flag out. Alan Grice, well I thought it was Allison that may come off second best in that one, but you're not a Daytona 500 winner and a 30-year expert at this caper <laughs> and come off second best in those confrontations. The biggest incident came on lap 80 when eight cars got together in turn three and four, including Aussie contenders Dick Johnson and Alan Grice. Grice, whose brakes were failing after his lap 13 incident, made hard contact with Johnson, suffering a broken collarbone as a result. Poor guy. Oh, and we've got another car really, and oh. in fact we've got three, four, five wrecks up on turn number three, and it's a real schmozzle, including Dick Johnson, yeah. whose car oh. is on fire, Alan Grice piles to the middle of the pack, written his car off as well, we've got three, four, five cars there, in six. fact six. Yep, six cars, including Grice, including Johnson, it's hard at this moment Johnson's to Johnson's car is others. a complete wreck, so is Alan Grice. At the end of the day, Neil Bonnet won the race by less than a second over Bobby Allison. Dave Marcus was the only other car to finish on the lead lap and fourth place. Glenn Stewart finished two laps down. All told, only 15 of the 32 cars entered, finished the race, and with the best finishing Aussie, Robin Best, coming home 11th. Technically, he was the only Australian driver still running. The race was popular enough with the NASCAR drivers, probably because they whooped up on some Aussies. Oi, oi, oi. Go America. That many returned in December to run the Christmas 500. In a kind of exchange driver program, Dick Johnson and Alan Grice even made the trip over to the U.S. to run a couple races. Interest waned over time, partly due to the logistical nightmare of transportation. Just ask Mitch, the stowaway, Twinkies and Spam. And in 1994, the last race that brought NASCAR drivers to the Southern Hemisphere was run at Calder Park. Now, I don't know this for fact, but I'd like to picture a young Marcus Ambrose eating a hot dog, drinking a Foster's, watching the race on Channel 7, hearing Chris Economaki in the pits and thinking one day, I'm going to race in NASCAR. Yeah, what'd you have for breakfast, Dave? I saw you pull alongside of Bobby Allison there. You went wild there about 50 laps ago. What happened? 
Well, Chris, I, you know, we're running up front, and that's what racing's all about. And I know these Australian people want to see a good race, so we try and give them a good show. Well, you certainly did that. Congratulations, Dave. Thank you. Okay, that's the story from Victory Land. It's been a great race. And for Chris Economac here, I want to say to my good friends down in this part of the country, happy birthday, Australia. If you guys have any good ideas for the next Corey stories, tweet at us, Stacking Pennies. You can DM me on Instagram. Leave it in the reviews. Give us five stars first. Hit subscribe. Do whatever else you got to do. And leave a Corey story recommendation in the comment section. And we will look into it. So what we learned today on Stacking Pennies. Number one, I'm a little more comfortable. Still not very good at it. At least I'm having fun this time. I was a little stiff first episode, Merriman. Listen to it back. And I'm like, oh, I don't suck as bad as I thought I did. So they let me come back and finish it up today. So maybe they'll let me come back next week. Chuck Bush, excellent job editing the first episode. There was about four hours of content that we chopped up and made work for 45 minutes for your listening pleasure. We learned that our Daytona 500 champ tried to kill our pit road reporter, Ryan Flores, several years ago, so I'm glad that didn't happen. Merriman likes turtles. Like that kid in the news. In the news. I like turtles. You can chime in whenever you want to, pal. I see you I looking. do like turtles. Okay, good. Rolling Thunder's going to stick because I'm just going to hammer that until the cows come home. We got some road course racing in Daytona two weeks in a row. Let's just hope, cross our fingers. I wouldn't mind a little rain this weekend, to be honest with you. Spice it up a little bit. And also probably cool it down because it's going to be hot. Road course get the old blood pressure going. And there you have it from Rolling Thunder. See you next week. Stacking pennies.